Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to talk about their journey dealing with the struggle and how they found healing. My guest today is Robert Shine. He's the managing director and partner at Blanky Shine Wealth Management, a high tower firm. He's based in beautiful Palm Desert, California. Frank Sinatra used to have a home there, right? A lot of celebrities out here. Yeah. And of course, Coachella Valley, where the big music festival is. And in addition to being a financial advisor, in 2011, Robert founded the the Society of Financially Empowered Women, a nonprofit organization dedicated to facilitating a community and forum where independent women can acquire the confidence to take control of their financial lives. But Robert, thank you so much, uh, first of all, for being here, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Diana. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about the Society of the Few in a little bit, but Robert sort of got the inspiration for that organization and some of the work he's doing now with women from his own life experiences, specifically as he helped his mother navigate the finances in the aftermath of his father's death. He also has three, three high school daughters, is that right? They're all yeah, in high four, school now? Four children, three high school daughters, so three girls and a boy. Very nice. And seven nieces, you said? Correct. Very nice. And uh, I have one niece. And so he has a passion for women, for helping women navigate financial challenges. And But Rob, before we sort of jump to all that, let's go back to your roots a little bit and specifically talk about your father, because I know that a lot of things that happened have influenced and, and shaped who you are from from a young age and so your father he immigrated to the u.s from what was then yugoslavia and i know a lot of people you know come to the u.s in pursuit of the american dream what people think of as the american dream anyways so what did that look like for your father when he came to america yeah it's yeah the story specifically from my father you know began back when his family immigrated from um, yugoslavia back then it's croatia today and, but back in 1953, they came through Ellis Island, you know, three weeks on a boat and saw Lady Liberty and as a family landed here in, in New York and worked really hard. He had to do English in fifth grade three times traditionally when you don't know the language and you start basically afresh as the family did way back when. They you know, worked hard. He met my mom back in New York and then they started having two boys later on in life in the in the 70s. That's when my brother was born and that's when I was born a few years later and sort of the traditional American dream. And as I grew up later on, my father basically said, you know, there's two reasons why we sacrificed, you know, grandma, grandpa sacrificed and we all came to America. And those two reasons very specifically were for education and opportunity. 
And when he told me that, it was a huge impact because I never forgot that. I mean, it was really, if you think back then, that's why everyone was coming here, even still to this day. It's the education and opportunity. And so I sort of, you know, that stayed with me and that's always stayed with me ever since. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of know what you mean. My my husband's family came over from Russia, I think in the 80s, and just really worked hard, didn't have much money, but just his mother just really worked hard and tried to, to create opportunities for my husband here. So what? how did you, I know you and your brother ended up in finance, both of you. How did you guys end up in the field? Yeah, great, great question. It really is just that focus on always trying to improve yourself from you know our kitchen table, if you will. So I always call it kitchen table conversations. So my mom and dad uh, both worked hard. And my mom also worked as well to sacrifice to put both my brother and I through a Jesuit high school. It cost more than our college did. Uh, so I firsthand got to see that sacrifice, both what dad and mom have done for both my brother and I. And eventually we go down to uh, University of Arizona. I both studied finance and marketing. My brother six years older than I am and was very successful in his path. And I, I loved and loved the wealth management industry. He got into the industry right out of college. And I would tag along as a teenager, even through his college like internships and actually help him in summers when he worked for all the firms. And we would he would cold call, I would cold call. This is the mid 90s, <laughs> early 90s. And I just found a passion for it. I love helping people. I love connecting and I also love finance. And, and so that was sort of my launch in obviously in college, graduated finance marketing, then early on started out with a wealth management firm and in and, and the training program and go to New York for three weeks and, and off you go. And you know, ever since I just love the industry. Yeah, and now uh, folks are talking about cold calling being dead, right? Yeah, Kinda we would do 100, 100 a day, and that would be, you know, that was with the days, and you couldn't, I don't think you could even do that again. Yeah, I mean, I think, oh, I'm trying to think who, I think it was, it's either Morgan Stanley or Merrill, Merrill, who I think banned cold calling in their Correct, training yeah. programs now. But anyways, and what did your father and mother do? When you were young. So yeah, my, my father was an uh, engineer um, and he worked for Honeywell. He used to be, you know, various companies back in the you know eighties and nineties, but uh, ultimately an engineer and he worked all the way through 70 years old, uh, sort of the American dream, work hard. And my mom was sort of a, you know, worked from time to time to help put us through, like I said, high school and college, uh, but she was primarily stay at home. And we grew up in a very traditional family. By that, I mean, my dad took care of the finances. And so mm -hmm. every step of the way, my dad was the head of the household. I, again, that's where it came from just how society was back then, especially when you come over from another country. And traditionally back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it just evolved. And so my dad worked all the way through ripe old age of 80. And by that, my brother and I had some kids. And, and so that'd be grandkids. And he's like, you know what? 70 years old is a great time to retire. He did. And uh, he wanted to spend time with the grandkids and both my brother and I and our families. And life happens. You can never plan it. But you know, we mm -hmm. had a turn for the worse, if you will, with my dad's health. Because four months into his retirement, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And mm -hmm. so that's when our whole world changed, Diana. It was, you know, life can change on a dime, as you know, and everyone is going through something within their own family. You just don't know what it is. And for us, you know, I remember the phone call when my mom called me and said, come home, your father is sick. Mm -hmm. And we, both my brother and I were there for my, my family, but it was a real situation. And my mom was now in a world of having to learn two languages. In Scottsdale, Arizona, we were blessed to have the medical relationship and hospital of the Mayo Clinic. So it's like a team approach to help every step of the way, all the stuff that my dad needed through his four, four years of battling cancer. But my mom was now having to learn two languages, both the medical world 
as well as the financial world because my dad was financially just in charge. And my mom's blessed to have both my brother and I in the financial services industry, but not everyone is. And through that experience personally of helping my mom, partnering with her, you know, connecting where she is and creating a baseline and organizing her life and simplifying it. And that was a journey. It, it was every step of the way. Um, but that was really the launching pad for sort of my life mission as both my brother and I help uh, my mom through that navigating that, that just horrible turn of circumstances and change of life. Yeah. And so I guess, what, tell us about those years when he was battling cancer. I mean, were, were they, did they have hope that the treatments would work or, you know, I know, I think it was, you said stage four stomach cancer. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So they had to take and remove his entire stomach. Oh, and gosh. it was one of those things where everyone's related or, or, or impacted by, they know somebody or a family member, unfortunately, that has had cancer. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that world, there are now, medically speaking, there are a lot more success stories and thank God for science on that, that respect. But as a family, I, and my brother and I, cause we're in the financial services industry. We know we've seen this and we've walked our clients through every life stage almost daily as we come into our office. So we kind of knew while dad was suffering and we wanted the medical team to help him prolong his life, we knew without a shadow of a doubt that there's going to be life without dad and, mm. and that process then you have to drive and turn your attention to your mom right and say okay yeah. is she does she have what she needs well she has a support system uh, she has a network of support and, and both you know my brother and i and obviously our, our wives respectively and just family around to help my mom but now is she equipped right? Is she, where is she in her stage of life? Cause 90% of her energy financially or no, excuse me, emotional energy at the time was being a primary caretaker for my father. Right. So the financial mm -hmm. side had to take a back seat. And yeah. so she was every day with a doctor's appointment and learning something new and understanding what that is. And, and it's not even like, this is like maybe you know, not as prevalent as Google is today where you could Google stuff and sort of figure it out. You're going by doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment and leading you down a path. So it was basically a four, four year journey from start to finish being there uh, for my mom who was there for my dad every single day. Yeah, I think, I think I, I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but my father died of, um, pancreatic cancer very which is the most aggressive cancer in the world um he i think he died within six months of being diagnosed but so I'm a much sorry. shorter time frame but yeah and and it wasn't there wasn't any treatment to be had but i mean i think my family me and my brothers kind of went through the same thing with we need to take care of my mom what's going to happen after he passes away and she had a pretty good handle on the finances so that wasn't really an issue, but it was more emotionally she needed support. And I've just seen what cancer can, can do to a family and the whole hospice circumstances. It's awful. But how did yeah, you, yeah, how did you sort of support your mother, help her through that time? I mean, and specifically when with relation to the finances, what kind of did she need after your father passed away in terms yeah, of, so, you know, on the so financial then, side? Yeah, it, even before he passed, right? So it's basically putting her in the driver's seat and having her connecting with her at a level to no, number one is to get to baseline understanding what she knows, uh, what she's comfortable with, what she needs a little bit more, you know, education and, and support on, uh, and both my brother and I were there for her every step of the way as it relates to that. Now, you know, keep in mind her investment and in, in all of that stuff was well looked after, but what wasn't looked after, and this is interesting and this happens more often than not, 
even in my own family, right? My brother and I do this for a living for other people. And financially, it wasn't the investments per se, because my mom was also pretty savvy as it relates to investments. It was what my dad was in charge of, which is the estate planning component. Now, every time we we had a conversation with my dad, he's like, oh, you know, we're all set and everything's taken care of. And so you, you get to the stage of, well, gosh, you know, we have to double check that everything's buttoned down regards to the estate plan that mom is fully looked after, right? Everything's properly done. Let's double check everything. And in doing that, you know, it's one of the first things that we did. We found out that my dad literally didn't do the single thing that you should do, which is finish and follow through from an estate planning side. By that, I mean, mm. my mom and dad went to the estate planning attorney. They got their trust done. This is years before they got my dad was sick and, and, and he brought us back and, and, and changed all the brokerage accounts over to the trust and they have a living trust. And, but he didn't do the one extra step, which was real estate. So they had some real estate holdings and even from their own personal house wasn't in the name of the trust and some other things weren't in the name of the trust. And so as we go down this estate planning path, we're then having this conversation with our dad, who's now sick saying, dad, how is this? How did this come to be? Right? And it can happen to our mm. own family, right? We're in the industry of, of, of taking care of and looking after people's financial and wealth management needs. And it happened to our own family. And so, and it wasn't because my brother and I weren't you know, on top of it. It wasn't because the estate planning team wasn't on top of it. It was just because there's sort of a, a, a gap in sort of communication early on where the estate planning and his understanding was once you go to the estate planning attorney and you get your trust set up, you're done. That's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we see this in our world, financially speaking, all day long. And I'll tell you what I learned from that experience and I help our clients now on a go forward basis is that when somebody says to me that we are all set, those are the worst words you can hear. If you're in the wealth management industry, you know that. I think you could think of probably four or five clients right now that, or even prospects, friends of friends that say, don't know, I'm, I'm, you know, they find out what you do. They say, okay, thanks, I'm all set. And it's not about the investments. That's the easy part. What we do in terms of investing, really Really, Diana, it's easy. It really is. Mm. It, you know, the asset allocation, the financial planning, that really is easy. It's the other stuff that's sort of out there that you sort of have to make certain that you have a financial team that is working together, coordinating, communicating, playing well in the sandbox together and following through and then doing the review process every every few years as tax law and, and estate planning and everything else changes. So yeah, that was a personal story where then we had to then do a fire drill from an estate planning standpoint through the years that my dad was alive. And it's, it's one, it's embarrassing from a standpoint of like, how could this happen? Like introspectively, yeah. it's like, how is this? But it really came down to my dad's upbringing, right? Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, no one talked about it, right? It was, mm -hmm. you, you didn't talk about the, the world of finance. And that's where I, then I was, you know, my mom is basically sort of the inspiration for what I call now is the society of the few financially empowered women. And it's a community that I've created that pr promotes sort of confidence and education and support to hope partner with, connect, organize, simplify, but understand where you are and, and it's okay to talk about it. We create from that, I created in my own practice in Palm Desert, California, I created month luncheons at a nice little French restaurant here and I would just have it for my clients. So it was a private client, a sort of one-on-one -on -one society of the few luncheon every month. And I would have my clients bring in a friend or a family member that they'd like to, to invite. And maybe we have 15 in the room at three different tables or so. And we go around the table every time. That's how I started this. And I said, you know, I introduced who I am, what my mission is, why I started this. And I go around the table and say, what keeps you up at night financially speaking? 
And inevitably, Diana, there's two or three that are all the same. We're all the same, right? We all have the same concerns. But what I created, what was really different and unique about this was that environment of trust and okay to be in, a sort of comforting and, but okay to talk about it. I think that's where we are still behind the curve in terms of the, the, the communication or the ability to talk about it in terms of from one generation to the next, because back then in the fifties or sixties or seventies, generations didn't talk about money, right? It was taboo. And so mm -hmm. it was very limited. So that's how we kind of got in that situation uh, from day one, but it happens if it happens to us, it can happen to everybody. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think I read somewhere that talking about money was like more taboo than talking about sex or something like that. But well, 61% um, of women would rather talk about their own death than money. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's crazy to me, but I mean, you bring up a, a good point about just broader, the broader issue of women and wealth and just some interesting insights here from, from a McKinsey study I was looking at for decades, wealth management has been a male dominated endeavor not only are the vast majority of advisors men, but also the customers making financial decisions are far more likely to be men than women. Um, in two-thirds of affluent households in the U.S., men are the key financial decision makers. But as you know, that's changing. And, so, and McKinsey says that they, by 2030, American women are expected to control much of the $30 trillion in financial assets that baby boomers will possess. So, I mean, there's this change going on, and a lot of it is driven by men passing away and the women having to control the assets. And so, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I know that your experience with your mother kind of opened your eyes to what was going on on Wall Street. And I think you were at a Wall Street firm at the time and sort of opened your eyes to how the industry treats women or, or sees women. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how did that sort of open your eyes? Yeah, that's a great sort of question because today it's getting a lot better, right? So I'm a father of four. We have three high school daughters and I have seven nieces. And so the world is, is extremely bright and extremely, I, I'm certainly encouraged and I can't, couldn't be happier to educate and support. And I'm always talking about it with anybody who will listen to my family or even their friends. Cause I really talk to their friends more, my high school daughter's <laughs> friends. Cause they're like, they'll listen to me. My, my daughters won't listen to me. But that being said, going back even a decade in my 20 year career early on tone and wall street, while it's changing today and it's still not where it needs to be, it's a lot better than it was a decade ago. And, and, and sort of when I had this sort of inspiration in my personal journey and going through this, you know, I, I also circulated the idea of like, oh, you know, I want to create this sort of forum in this community for women and educate and support and inside my own branch, inside my own financial wealth management firm, both locally and nationally, I got a lot of pushback. I got a lot yeah. of, um, that's never going to work. And why are you spending your time? And, you know, guys have the money and all. And so that just made me even more motivated and determined and quite frankly, upset, just really pissed off because I'm like, you know what? I had a personal situation. I see the world. I, I care and love, care for my wife and I love my wife. And I'd never want my wife in that situation. And oh, by the way, it's a 50 50 marketplace. So as I'm growing my practice, that's fine. I'll do the blue uh, you know, ocean strategy where I'll swim to where everyone else is, not fishing or even looking for prospects if you back in the day and i'll create you know sort of what i believe is a community and if it happens to to bear fruit and and bring in business wonderful if not then at least i'm i'm true to myself and true to my mission and doing something that the office wasn't right and i will tell you that just 
exploded. And I was younger in the industry. And when you see all these back then, they're million dollar producers and they ran, ruled the earth like dinosaurs. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and they would see this, this young advisor bringing in assets after assets and then climbing the leaderboard and then bringing in stuff that they would even dream about and then passing them. That was, I knew I was on the right track as it relates to that. Uh, especially since they've been doing it for 20 or 30 or 40 years before me. And now I'm catching up to their AUM in like Mm. five or 10 years. And that's when they're like, well, maybe this has something. I'm like, listen, are you married? Do you have daughters? Like, how are you? How do you have this mindset that's like totally not even yesterday, like two decades ago? So anyway, it, it was my motivation every single day walking into the office knowing I was doing something uh, for the right reasons and one better. There was a big competitor of mine when we had a luncheon, and this wasn't too long ago. I would have my luncheons in my Society of the Few luncheons. And at the luncheon, we go introduce ourselves and she'd introduce herself and she's a, a friend of a friend and she was the competitor's wife. Mm. So across the street, Wall Street firm. And she says to me afterwards, this is the God's honest truth, Diana. I am really worried about what happens when my husband dies. He has no planning. He has n- he's never brought me under the fold and what's going on. He goes, can I have your business card? Because if something ever happens, I'm going to come directly to you. And I was like, you know, if that's not a testament to what's what's happening in Wall Street, and, and it's changing for the better again, even five and 10 years ago, but it's still not where it needs to be. But I knew at that moment in time when my competitor, my largest competitor came to my wealth management educational forum luncheon, and she asked for my business card and said, when my husband passes away, I'm gonna come see you. Now, that being said, my, my best clients aren't just, let's say, you know, widows, if you will, it's women in transition. Obviously everything is in the world today of from the divorce rate to widowhood. And and obviously women outlive men. And that's just a, that's just a fact. And you have to prepare for that Uh and be comfortable with that. But my best clients are, are couples, right? The couples that sit down with me and the husband wants to, for the first time, get the wife, you know, sort of up to speed financially speaking, or even on the same page, right? And I love interviewing couples and, and husbands and wife when they've been even married for 20 or 30 years and say, you know, I'll interview both of them and say, but then I'll turn to her and I say specifically, okay, so what are your goals? What are, what's important to you? And it could be for the first time ever that she basically opens up even in front of her husband and they've been together for 20 years, right? And it's mm-hmm. so empowering, it's so awesome. And then I put that together in a financial plan and, and the rest goes from there and that's the best. But you know, the reality of today is nine out of 10 women will be solely responsible for their own financial well-being at some point in time in their financial future. So again, we have a responsibility to make certain that this mission continues. Yeah, and I mean, I know that you, I bet you probably had some criticism from women as well about these initiatives because i think a lot of financial firms out there think that women's initiatives should only involve women advisors and and that women investors prefer women advisors but i mean i think you pointed out to me that it's actually 50 50. they prefer men 50 percent of the time and they prefer women 50 percent of the time but but i think that just sort of thinking of these initiatives as solely women based is sort of short-sighted because I think men need to be a part of the solution, especially since a lot of the industry is made up of men. So I, so I think you're doing a great thing here. I mean, 
I think some people might look, you know, look twice at, when they see your name at the top of the this organization. But I mean, but it's why shouldn't you be part of the solution and helping women? I, I don't know. I think that's key. I think well, everybody again, in the industry needs to partner on it. And yeah, yeah not again, just women. I, I just look at it from start with what my mission is, what my personal sort of vision is. And, and it starts at home, right? My kitchen table. What I started off with my, my dad saying education opportunity. And I'd be wasting all of that uh, for what their sacrifices were, what my mom's sacrifices were, what my dad's legacy is, my mom's legacy is, and then what my daughters and, and nieces are, right? So when I start from that, my my personal why, and again, my son and I are minorities in a sorority. So we are minorities. <laughs> and so when I get mm -hmm. on to financial boards or serving within the community, I am now, let's say an all, all woman board of directors, I am now having an opposite point of view or even a, a complimentary point of view, if you will. And at the end of the day, wealth management, as we know in this industry, it doesn't matter who's on the other side. It really matters is if, are they listening? Are they connecting? Do you mesh with them? Are they gonna meet you at your pitch, right? Some advisors in our industry, both men and women, won't take people who don't have a certain level of sophistication because they just can't get down to that gear or have that empathy, if you will, or they're just too important or they just manage too much money, right? I mean, it, it's all the, if you will, whatever that excuse could be or whatever your business model is, right? And it's not right or wrong, but for those who are looking for an advisor or a team, you know, it's to that person, right? Do you feel comfortable? Are they listening? And do they meet me at what I need? And I think that's the key, regardless of who's on the other side. But it really is. And that's one of the things where, you know, through the Society of the Few, we encourage our clients to look through that network of advice, to go out there and mm -hmm. interview advisors, interview estate planning attorneys and CPAs, and really work at it. It really is gonna make all the difference in the world, but more importantly, do they play well in the sandbox together is another one of my keys, which is, you know, at the end of the day, what I found was with my mom, as she was going through learning the language of all this medical jargon and the world of wealth management, which is estate planning and taxation and everything else, we coordinated for her and ran the lead with the CPA, you know, getting all the 1099s or, or whatever it happens to be. We knew what that was and we could proactively do that for my mom. And that's what we find and proactively do for our clients, which is say, hey, listen, we'll take, we'll either organize it for you or show you what it is, or more importantly, we'll connect directly and we'll get on a conference call. And this way, whether it's a tax strategy that we want to implement, or whether it's an estate planning strategy we want to implement, we bring in the advisor that plays well in the sandbox for that client. And then we work well together. And then we work together to educate until the client's comfortable or understands, or at least happy, right? It's a different language We're, we we know we, we get so caught up in our financial world of all of our jargon that we lose track of who we're serving and what really what they need. And so they really need us to work together too in the industry. Yeah, I think that's um, some great insights for advisors out there serving women. I know I just wanted to tell people a little bit about the Confidence Summit that you, you launched in 2020. It's called Confidence Women, Wealth and Wellness Summit. And I know that you guys had over 500 attendees this year. So it's a great thing to check out. It's a, a space for women to, to come together, network and receive interactive hands-on learning opportunities that um, you know, span topics of finance, personal, uh, professional growth, excuse me, 
and personal self-care. So it's a resource out there and just some great work that you're doing, Rob. Thank you so much. I think we're just about out of time, but Rob, this has been great. I really thank you for being on the podcast and just opening up about your experiences. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I encourage everyone to go check out the Confidence Women, Wealth, and Wellness. So CW3ConfidenceSummit.com. Like I said before, it's the Society of the Few. I created that into a 501c3 who is now putting on, if you will, the Confidence Summit. And that's it's basically a resource for everybody. And you can tune in for what we're going to do next time. But yeah, it was well overwhelming. 500 plus people attended and we're excited to have that continue. So thank you for having me today, Diana. Yeah, and we'll include links at the bottom here so you guys can check out those resources. But if you'd like to reach out to Robert, you have questions for him specifically, you can reach him at rshine at hightoweradvisors.com. And we'll put this information in, in the show notes as well. If you have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there's hope. We'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.